This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. It is Tuesday morning, Nickelback time. Football, football, football. Talking Vikings, Gophers. Got some great stuff coming up. Andrew Kramer with his film review here in just a minute. Kind of dissecting just how Cleveland was able to pick apart a Vikings offense that had been humming for three weeks, two at least, um, stopping them, holding them to only seven points in the Vikings' 14-7 to loss on Sunday. We'll do my least favorite team is my favorite team. Back to least favorite with Keith Rashad. Again, we'll talk some offensive line in that context. We'll talk about, boy, I wish they would have known that they needed to fix this because a problem is not fixed if you can't count on it every single time. And we'll talk Gophers with Randy Johnson. Um, big story emerging, Trey Potts left behind in Indiana, uh, hospitalized with an unspecified ailment. Maybe we'll have an update on that as well. So let's get right into it, should we? It's film review time. Andrew Kramer joins Daily Delivery, does a great job uh, writing about the Vikings for the Star Tribune, was at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday. Didn't see a lot of offense from the Vikings, Andrew. They marched down the field on that first drive. Looks like it's going to be kind of a repeat of Seattle, maybe, because they, you know, they're the offense is clicking on that first drive and then zero points for the last three and a half quarters. So I want to get into with film review today, like what what happened? How was Cleveland able to shut down what had been a very productive offense and looked like it was on track to do that again on Sunday? Yeah, because the Vikings had succeeded, really, when you went back and looked at their first three games. I know Cincinnati was a roller coaster ride, but Arizona, um, Kirk did well against Chandler Jones in the pass rush that had been stout the week prior. The Browns coming off a nine-sack game in Chicago, much like the Cardinals were coming off their big game the week prior. Um, it's just their plans fell apart. The Vikings did a lot of the similar stuff they typically tried to do in those first three games, but everything fell apart, whether it was the screen game, um, the first two times Clint Kubiak called a screen on Sunday were the first two times the Browns dropped into a single high safety and basically just ate it up right away. And th- those are the kind of things where it's either the defense seeing what you're going to do and, and making that pre-snap adjustment to drop into that, or you just have bad luck. Either way, it didn't work out for the Vikings. You saw a lot of the extra pass pro stuff where you got Conklin, CJ Ham staying in to block and chip and Miles Garrett splitting. Miles Garrett at one point, split a triple team to get a, his half a sack. Basically, C.J. Ham was on one side. Ezra Cleveland was on the other. Rashad Hill was in the middle, and Miles Garrett was still able to get that sack. It was just an all-out dominant performance by the Browns' defensive line. And I saw a quote today on Monday. A Browns safety said, you see guys just mauling people off the ball. Offensive linemen are on the ground. It's just awesome. And that's, that's really all you have to say. So, you know... It- with that in mind, I mean, not every not every team is the Browns. I think they have an exceptional front four. You know, one of the probably one of the best in football, and they've got a pretty nice team. If Baker Mayfield could uh, find a smidgen of accuracy, they might be particularly dangerous. But is so, how much of this do we chalk up to? This is this is what this is. Cle- this is how good Cleveland is. Versus how much do we say? Well. The Vikings have had problems like this against teams like this all the time, basically, especially during the Kirk Cousins era where Cousins gets pressured. As the game goes on, he kind of starts thinking about that pressure. 
We've seen it against Chicago, some other teams. Like, how much of it is on Cleveland and how much of it is on the Vikings and the line and Kirk Cousins? Yeah, I think what we need to see, and if you're a Vikings fan, you want to be seeing Clint Kubiak and this offense adjust much quicker than they did in that game. And you want to see them adjust moving forward when they perhaps anticipate we're going to get our butts whooped up front. You need to see that. You need to know going into it, we're going to do this. And clearly the seven-man max uh, pass protection stuff, that's not just some magic pill you can take because you're going to have Miles Garrett blowing things up like he did even when you still did that. I liked some of the misdirection stuff they did earlier in the ballgame. You had K.J. Osborne taking an end around for a 10-yard pickup. That's not stuff you can do every single play, but they basically just went away from it and said, we're going to keep trying to establish the run and set up this play-action boot game that led to Kirk's first interception. I just think they didn't have the pivot to that in a way that you would have thought going through a week of practice, you would assume they would have known we're not going to win a lot of these matchups up front. Instead, you still had Tyler Conklin doing a lot of the blocking on Miles Garrett, and that was a matchup they lost almost every single time. And Rashad Hill was not much better. He was That was probably his worst game as a Viking that certainly I can remember. So I do think a lot of it is the fact that you're playing against a potential defensive player of the year candidate in Miles Garrett. But at the same time, you're, this isn't the only time. Uh, Brian O'Neill said this today. Uh, talking to local media and saying that we're going to face these kind of guys a lot. You're going to see Chandler Jones. You're going to see Khalil Mack when Chicago comes up. You're going to see Joey Bosa with the Chargers. You need to figure out a way to pivot because these matchups are not just all of a sudden going to be won, even when you get a rookie left tackle coming in there. Yeah, a particular play maybe we can talk about a little bit. Um, the third down in the third quarter, I think you you were communicating this to me, and I remember the play now. Um KJ Osborne pretty wide open deep. It's it's maybe he's got a he's got a shot to take, but the pressure is is coming. And instead of kind of trying to hang in there for that extra half half measure and and, and make that throw and take that hit, he he's kind of ducking pretty quick. Ends up ends up taking the sack and and that's and that's that. And that's you know again pressure on a quarterback that it's it's a cumulative thing. What what are you what what stands out to you about that particular play? Yeah, and that came in a key moment in the game. If you remember, that was right after the Browns had scored 11 points just before halftime. They come out in the second half, they get the ball. You're thinking, boy, this could go even farther downhill. And the Vikings get a stop. The defense actually stops them. It's a three and out. Huge moment for the offense. And what happens? They get they reach a third and three. This is manageable. This is exactly what you're looking for if you're the Vikings. Uh, all the excuses about, well, we, we get stuck in third long all day. No, this was a manageable third and three. And what you get is, is Kirk Cousins getting some pressure, but albeit not the, the most intense pressure he faced that day. It was mild compared to the stuff he was facing where Miles Garrett looks like uh, you know something out of Jurassic Park coming through. This was mild. You had your blockers still in front of you. You just felt the back of Ole Udo coming into you, the back of Rashad Hill, and Kirk tucks the ball when he's looking right at a wide open K.J. Osborne. The Browns secondary played very well, but there was a botched coverage that led to KJ just streaking wide open down the field as three guys went with Adam Thielen underneath and Kirk missed it. He tucks the ball. He runs. It ends up being a sack on third down. They punt. And that's the story of kind of how that second half went where you were given some chances and the offense just needed to sustain something and they couldn't. And in Kirk, you, you say the cumulative stuff, that's totally a thing because this came in the third quarter. This came after a first half in which he was facing those dinosaurs on the other side of the ball. And you could tell by that second half, he was, his reads were um, off. 
he was a little, you know, gun shy, as they say, he was just hesitant. And so there was one time too, in the second half later, where it was a tip ball should have been intercepted, but it yeah. was dropped. And, and Kirk forces it to Tyler Conklin when Adam is actually wide open on a similar out route on the same side of the field. It's just, those are the decisions that Kirk doesn't typically make when he's like this, but that pressure really started to make his kind of affect his decision-making. Well, and I'm looking at pro football focus. looks like 22 out of his 41 dropbacks, he was pressured. That's over 50%. That was the most in the league, at least through, through the Sunday night game. I don't know about the Monday night game, but it's a, I mean, it, it, again, some of that's probably on him. He holds the ball sometimes, but some of it is, is this recurring problem of the offensive line. And it's, as you know, we've talked about it, it's not fixed if you can't count on it essentially. And that, that feels like they, they can't count on it. So as we think about it going forward, like how do they, is there a counter adjustment they can now make against a, a front four like this? Again, if they're going against Chicago or somebody who has you know, a, a real disruptor, or is this just life with Kirk Cousins and an offensive line in flux? Yeah, they need the offensive line to be a lot better. This this isn't, you know, I, you don't want to put too much of it on coaching because they do need to make some adjustments there. But you need Brian O'Neill to play up to a top five level right, right tackle like he did in some of these games early. He didn't do that on Sunday. He was missing blocks as well. You had uh, missed assignments in the running game where Ezra Cleveland's pulling and he's not hitting the right guy. Uh, you have Ole Udo pulling, and he just doesn't look good doing that. And you get you get Alexander Madison outrunning him, and that sets off the timing of a run play. There's so many things that players can do better that can make that improvement. The problem with Kirk and that we continually run into is that people are human. This is a mediocre offensive line. They are going to make mistakes, and you don't have that quarterback that can overcome that, especially when you are so – the talent gap between your opposing defensive line and your offense is so far in the, like it was in that Cleveland game. And it was in Tampa Bay uh, last year. And it was in uh, Indianapolis as well. And, and Chicago in the past, like we just keep seeing the same movie play out. And that's the problem is when you're not perfect up front, um, you need somebody to overcome that. And Kirk just wasn't that guy on Sunday. No. And that's just not really his, his MO. And so you, you run into these games where, you can almost predict how it's going to go, how it's going to happen. And that's, that's problematic in year four of Kirk Cousins as the Vikings quarterback. Well, we'll see if they have any more luck next week against Detroit. Probably not the same level of front four they're playing there. But, you know, Detroit, for, for being an 0-4 team, maybe isn't quite the, the laughing stock that I imagined they would be. That's not like a walkover automatic victory. Yeah, I'll just quickly say you're right about that. This is not Matt Patricia's Detroit Lions, but um, the Lions did just lose their best pass rusher um, to an Achilles injury, and then they lost their center, who's not expected to play Frank Ragnow, Minnesota native, who's one of their best offensive linemen. So I think the Vikings are due. This is like a classic rebound game for the Vikings, but I just don't know how much we're really going to learn about them in this game. Sounds good, Andrew. Appreciate it. We'll do this again next week. Thanks again, Mike. Andrew does a great job breaking down the film every week, both on this podcast and on Star Tribune, startribune.com. Look for his full film review on Tuesday, even if you want to avert your eyes because it will not be pretty for the Vikings offense. Since I was a kid, my grandpa, Jim Warner, taught us to treat our customers like family. And to thank you for 67 years, Warner Stellion is offering unbeatable appliance savings. Go to warnerstellion.com to get your $50 coupon you won't find anywhere else.
Let us continue now with Tuesday morning Nickelback on Daily Delivery. Welcome in Keith Rashad. My least favorite team is my favorite team. I thought we had something going here, man. I thought we were thought we were going to be uh, you know, talking about how how this team uh no, I didn't. I didn't really think that. I didn't really think they were going to have a a sustained uh winning streak. I thought they could beat the Browns, but they are right back now to being probably your least favorite team and probably in addition to losing 14-7 on Sunday, um, it just kind of it was like a 60-minute sleeping pill. It was not a it was not a fun game to watch at all. You know, Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. That's me. I I just wish. I just wish that there would have been. We've talked about this before. Yes. If only there had been one member, just even one member of the Twin Cities media, just courageous enough to stand up and say, I think that offensive line might be a problem for this team. A, ske- so a skeptic in somewhere out there. If just one person one would have taken up the, the charge of noting how awful this offensive line is and how utterly atrocious and wrong it is that they haven't been able to fix this. Just one, just one, one time. I, w- I wish I knew one. I wish that there was one sitting in my chair right now talking to you. Yeah, we, 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 we were worried about the offensive line. They played better for two games. For two games, they were pretty good against Arizona, and they were pretty good against Seattle, and Seattle had all sorts of gaping holes in their defense, and it, it probably it made sure things... Did probably made things look better than they really were, but it's not fixed if you can't count on it. Right. I mean, from week to week, you still don't know what this line is going to do. And on, on Sunday, they, they, they couldn't protect Kirk cousins and Cleveland was getting pressure with four guys all day. And you, you, that's a recipe for disaster, especially against cousins who, you know, when he's when he's pressured, when he starts to feel that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get the ball out to the right places. Sometimes he panics. He starts going to go and gets gets sped up a little bit, and then the whole day unravels. I've even thought about should I just set up literally plexiglass around where I sit. You know, so I'm watching that game. Yep. And there was a lot that was clearly frustrating about it, and there was a lot that exposed the weaknesses that we've talked about a lot of Mm -hmm. things that just didn't look very good. And it was so strange. It was so strange to think about how the defense only gave up 14 points yet somehow still looked awful. Right. And if it weren't for the fact that Baker Mayfield is not a very good quarterback. No, he he missed so many throws. It just, you put, you put Kirk cousins on that team and you might actually have a Super Bowl team then. Right. That's the ideal situation for somebody like that, where and and so the defense looked bad. Right. They they couldn't generate a lot of offense. Just a lot of it just looked sloppy and and bad penalties, just bad penalties at the wrong time. But despite all of that, despite all of that, the thing that killed them was that terrible offensive line. And and we there was. Parades in the streets. There were celebrations. The fireworks were going off because for two weeks the offensive line was adequate, right? That not necessarily good, not necessarily good, but uh, good, certainly good adequate. enough. Good yeah. enough. Good en- and and so everybody was so happy and and the offense flourished 
when they when they actually performed at a standard level of decency. But they're not they're not good enough, and they had a tough challenge. I, I concede that I recognize that, but they are the ones that lost the game for this team. Yeah, and it's it all goes hand in hand, right? I mean, the the two games that they've looked the worst in, where they you know, against Cincinnati, they could have won that game still and probably should have won that game based on how it finished. But the two games where the offensive line has really struggled, where Kirk Cousins hasn't had the time to throw, they have, they have, those are their two worst games easily of the year. So they are going to go as their offensive line goes. And like I said, they're not going to be poor all season. There's going to be games where the scheme works or whatever they're trying to do against the other team makes them look better or they just happen to play better that day. But again, a problem is not fixed when you don't know when it's going to become a problem again. So there you go with that. And you're right about the defense. I think, you know, I think they did some good things on, you know, they got, they got off the field on third down a few times, but yeah, Baker Mayfield was, was terrible. Like he, he had multiple plays where he could have put the game away and not given the Vikings chance after chance to either go ahead or tie. Um, and I like the rumor you just started Kirk cousins to Cleveland Baker Mayfield to the Vikings. Did you start that rumor or did I, I, I think that the, the daily delivery podcast started yeah, that rumor. the collective. Yeah. Yeah. But, but let me ask you, let me ask you this. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Because it, it, I was surprised at the end of this game at how little I was disappointed with the lost in the lot in the sense that, I felt like they were just beaten by a better team. Yes. And so, I mean, there's nothing you can really do, but they were just beaten by a better team. And so here is here are the Vikings, right? And we talked about before, we've said it a million times now, or probably closer to six, because I think that's as many times. Somewhere between six and a million. Right. Uh, we talked about how if they had seven things go right, they actually might have a, a really nice season. Clearly, that is not going to happen. They're, they at, at any given time, they get four and maybe win a game. They are not going to get all seven. They're not going to get all seven all season long, right? So here's a team that just lost to a, a team that is better than them that, sure, is a playoff team, but that one that you don't expect to see represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, okay? So they're beaten by a good, not great team. They are one in three right? What are the expectations for this team for the rest of the year? Because it's clearly not Super Bowl, right? And I don't so think so. There's, there's, what there's at least four be. teams. There's at least four teams that even talent-wise are just better than they are. Right. And so <laughs> what can or should be the expectations for this team for the rest of the year? Because you've got three quarters of the season left. What is a fan? What should any of us as fans want or expect because it's not going to be the Super Bowl, right? And the playoffs are looking less and less like even a, a possibility. They are wasting Kirk Cousins' career year, and he has not been, the, the, those two interceptions aside, he has not been anywhere near the problem, right? So what, I mean, what do you, what do you root for? What do you aspire to in a year like this? I mean, you aspire to, I think you look for signs of tangible progress, um, you mean you, you still the season's not over they're one and three so you if you're a fan who just like wants to see them finally someday you know win the win the super bowl which means getting into the playoffs you want to see them win these next two games right i mean there's 
they're playing to Detroit. Detroit's not a layup, by the way. Detroit is bad, but I think this team is capable of losing to anybody right now. Uh, <laughs> and what proof do you have of that? <laughs> I don't know. Week one against the Bengals. I don't know. They, it, they it, Detroit has played some decent halves of football. They were actually up on Green Bay at halftime. They probably should have beaten Baltimore, if not for a 66-yard field goal a couple weeks ago. They're not good, but I don't think they're quite the laughing stock that we expected them to be. They're not, you know, they're not Houston. So, you know, that's, you know, they, they better win can we that just, game. Can we just pause for a second? And I think that's all right. But I just want to acknowledge that their coach is still ridiculous. He is. Yeah. But they're still, okay. they haven't given up on him yet because it's only week five coming up. So, you know, but they, they better win that. Carolina is going to be a hard game. Carolina has been playing pretty well. Whether they three and one now, I know they lost the other day, but I think they were three yeah. and zero going into that game. And that's yeah. in Carolina, as I'm sure, you know, so, you know, that that's, that's a tall task. Like just getting to three and three at the bye is, is not, is not easy. They're probably not going to be, I don't think they're close to being favored in that Carolina game. If they, if they beat Detroit. So then you come out of the bye, and I wrote about this um, online Monday, like, the schedule gets harder. Like they're going to be the underdog in at least in more than half of their last 13 games. This this ridiculous 17 game season. And they only have eight home games and nine road games. Like the schedule does them no favors and not winning some of those early games that they, that they gave away to Cincinnati that they could have beaten Arizona. Those are the kinds of margins that they can't exist in. So what do you hope for? I, I guess you hope that they they they're you hope that they're as good as that they think they are and that they can get into the playoffs. And if they can get into the playoffs and they're as good as they think they are, maybe they have some upset potential in them, but that that's the ceiling to me. The, the ceiling is kind of what they did in 2019, which is have a nice season, get into the playoffs, surprise somebody, and then get blown out by an obviously better team. But <laughs> And I don't know if that's any, that's nothing to aspire to. It's fine. It's it's not. It's better than going six and eleven. Like you don't want to just root openly for mediocrity or or to be bad because as much as they probably could use a reboot, you you get into that cycle and you never know when you're going to get out of it. So yeah, no, I'm I. You and I are both on the anti-tanking bad way. Right. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I want to see the team win. But as we've also talked about, right, this is a team that really might need the reboot, really might need some change. Right? If the rumors are true, if the stories are true, that it finally took Mike Zimmer four years to sit down with his quarterback and watch some film, to sit down with the most important player on his team to finally watch some film, right? That if after eight years of being a head coach, he was finally forced to acknowledge that there are other aspects of his team besides the defense, Right. And what I mean, is it have we reached the point where it is too late, where this the lessons that he seems to maybe have finally sort of learned uh, are, are too late? Like he's not destroying all of his kickers anymore. He's not. And, and so not to mention. Right. I get I get that Kirk Cousins sucks up to 137 percent of the salary cap. That's a lot. But right. This is a team that also gathers as many draft picks as possible every single draft yet has tremendous depth problems everywhere across the board, right? Not even enough uh, young, cheap talent to keep refreshing with some of this stuff. Right. And so even if there are these signs of progress, 
what does that what does that mean at one and three right if they sneak into the playoffs at nine and eight which again is just a dumb dumb thing with 17 stupid game right and if they manage to keep themselves in the in the hunt graphic that we've been talking about before, yeah they're gonna be week week 16 seven and eight vikings in the hunt still oh yeah third out of four teams in the hunt for that seven spot and so i mean if if they can crawl into a playoff spot yet again, is that actually the best for this team when this leadership structure is just, it does not inspire any more confidence? No, and that's probably a good place to finish. I mean, I, I think you're right. I, I don't yeah, think that fire be, them all. That's where we I should finish. I don't think fire that them would, all. I don't think that would be better. I I can't like, I would still rather they go nine and eight than six and 11 or five and 12. But I, I think intellectually I would acknowledge that like anything less than 11 and six, where you're like, okay, this is a good team. Like this is a team that, yeah, they might go to the playoffs and get beat, but they had a chance. Like this was a, this was not just some like fluke or some team that just kind of like, you know, snuck in and, you know, it it wasn't really even a playoff spot. Like if they, if they were that good and then lost in the playoffs, I could, I could live with it. But so like intellectually, I think I understand that five losses would be or five wins would be better than nine wins in a, a, a marginal playoff berth. But yeah, I, I, but you're right. Like, I don't know what they could do this year to say, wow, like there's can't wait for 2022. Like it's maybe it's the offensive line, like miraculously playing well for an entire season. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe this does work, but does this doesn't feel like that's happening? So I guess that's that's kind of the story of the season, right? It's it, it, there's like we've talked about the, all the things that need to go right. They keep playing whack a mole with all the things that have gone wrong, and in various games, something's going to crop up, and more often than not, probably it's going to cause a loss. Whack a mole, and it's it's like I wrote the other day. Um, the Vikings keep saying they're good, but it also might not matter. The schedule is not going to get any easier for them as they go along. I counted seven games at least that I thought they would be betting underdogs out of their final 13. Um, 538.com has them not favored in their, you know, their, their power rankings um, in nine of the final 13 games. There's a lot of toss ups, a lot of games that are pretty close. So it's not like they can't get it done, but they're supposed to go at least like eight and eight and five would be what you need to win nine games at this point this season and have a realistic chance at sneaking into the playoffs. They're going to go eight and five against a schedule where more than half the games they're underdogs. I don't know. It, it's going to be difficult to say the least after they kind of dug themselves this one and three hole. Randy Johnson covers go for football joins daily delivery. Now, Randy, We'll have to talk Gophers Purdue and the win they had 20 to 13. But before we get to the particulars of that game, we need to talk about Trey Potts, who we learned Monday afternoon is the you put out a release saying he had been hospitalized, was still in the hospital in Indiana and um, had left, you know, left the game at some point, you know, late in the game, didn't really seem like much had happened. Um, whatever I'm sure most of what you know is in the story that you wrote, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. But for our listeners, what, uh, what else, uh, what else do we know at this point? Well, we don't know a whole lot about it at this point. Basically uh, that they haven't uh, given an exact uh, situation, uh, injury, illness, whatever. Um, 
Uh, you know, we do know that uh, uh, late in the fourth quarter, he uh, his last carry, he converted a third down and um, just went to the sideline as a, as you know as a player normally would. It wasn't like he was helped off the field or anything. Uh, then evidently afterward, uh, uh, he was tended to by trainers and then taken by ambulance uh, to um, to a nearby hospital. Um, wasn't addressed post game. Um, it was a situation where I didn't see it myself. Uh, I don't think anybody else that was recovering the game uh, noticed it from, from the press box on the opposite uh, sideline. Um, and the game was, you know, pretty much in, in doubt at that point that the Gophers had, were going down for that, that uh, field goal that put them up 2013. Then Purdue was moving the ball on its, on its last series before uh, Tyler Newman sealed it with, with, with the uh, interception. Now, obviously, we'll we'll await more updates. It sounds like the family might be providing some updates through the the university at some point. Um, obviously, the the football part of this is is way down on the list. We want to make sure Trey Potts is is healthy. He's okay. Um, but if we can talk about the football piece for just a minute, he's become a very important player for them. Obviously, since the Muhammad Ibrahim injury. Um, he'd been running pretty well, had close to 600 yards already this year, something, something like that. How has he kind of stepped into that, into that role and how important is he to the team right now? Um, he's very important to the team. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, fit that role, um, almost seamlessly. I mean, you know, he might not be quite, uh, quite the uh, power runner that Muhammad Ibrahim was, but, uh, uh, very effective for the Gophers. Uh, he had, um, uh, from uh, his first start on that September 11th game against Miami, Ohio, through the next three, he had uh, led the nation in rushing in those three games. So I think it was about 440 yards. And so he had he'd become very important. Um, on Saturday, uh, Purdue had the ball most of the game, so the the trade didn't have to be the workhorse that he usually has. He, he, had, he led the team with 15 carries and 78 yards um, in, a, in the – Third quarter touchdown that put him ahead for good. Um, yeah, basically um, he he handled the bulk of the load. Then uh, Cole Kramer did uh, some good work out of the Wildcat formation in running the ball. Um, you know, the 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 backup running back uh, Saturday was um, freshman uh, Bucky Irving, who had uh, six carries uh, for for fifteen yards. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. The Gophers have a bye week, like I said. So, and I think PJ Fleck had said, you know, chance stands for guys to get. Healthy a bye week is always big for that, so we'll, we'll see what develops with the with the Trey Pot story. Let, let's circle back on the game itself a little bit. Twenty to thirteen win. It was not. Um, I don't think they're going to put that one in a museum. I don't know if that one's the one to to put in the time capsule and say this is uh this is what American football is about in twenty twenty one. But a win is a win. Um, in the rain on the road in the Big Ten. Um finding a way to get done, get it done. Tanner Morgan makes enough plays maybe a week after I was fairly critical of him and how he played one of the worst games he mm-hmm. has played and the running game is good. And, and they make enough plays on defense. What, what else did you see uh, Saturday in West Lafayette? Yeah, they, it's, they cobbled away to win the game. They cobbled it together, which was, was what they might have to do from now, uh, now and again. Uh, basically they played uh very good defense, especially in the second half. Uh, shut Purdue out. Um, they uh, they kept um, David Bell, Purdue's receiver, uh, star receiver, out of the end zone, which that's that's impressive uh, to to be able to do. Um, and then the the offense, uh, their next to last possession, and they got the ball with uh, six 
uh, 23 left and drained out most of the clock there. And that and made it force Purdue, Purdue to use all three of its timeouts. So that, that was effective. You know, they, they ended up the game uh, in a big deficit in time of possession, but uh, had about a minute uh, more in the fourth quarter when it, when it mattered most there. Um, so, yeah, they did a little bit. And you can't forget the, uh, the punting of Mark Crawford, who this week was named co-special teams player of the week. Uh, in the Big Ten, um, uh, averaged uh, 51.3 yards and had a couple of punts of, of 60. He pinned Purdue inside its 20 um, four times, including once at the two and once at the nine. So uh, and the Boilers had to uh, go a long way to get anything done. If you're a field position enthusiast, Saturday was your day. But, yeah, not the kind of thing that uh, makes you – remember a game, but you know, important in a number of respects, they was coming off of the bowling, the bowling green loss that we've talked about. You know, we talked about last week, that was a big piece of the, the leading up to chatter. Like what, well, how would this team respond to a loss like that? And it wasn't like they came out and won 35 to nothing or 30 to nothing like they did against Colorado, but a big 10 road win is a big 10 road win. It does not matter exactly what they look like. Yeah. They'll, they'll take it. I mean, they, they were, they were pretty happy about, about the, the outcome, uh, yeah, you know, sure, they you'd, you'd like style points if you can get them, but right now it's just, you know, get your wins and, you know, get your bowl eligibility uh, at six and then go from there and see if you can string together a, a nice uh, season in, in the uh, the Big Ten West. You know, that's still, you know, technically still, obviously Iowa um, is, is, is in control there. Yeah, but, you know, that, that said, like you said, that's, that division, I mean, Wisconsin looks just – bad i guess is probably the word to, to say they they got routed by michigan they've lost three times already this season twice in the conference um you know nebraska is kind of up and down that's the next opponent right that's the the, the game yep. coming out of the bye but then you mm-hmm. you've got a, a run there where you could see them you know if they play reasonably well they could go three and one at least in that stretch right and if not maybe four and oh if things break their way yeah, it's 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 going to be you know not an easy stretch per se, but easier than you know maybe uh, the, the last few weeks uh, that has Iowa uh, in it. Um, Nebraska they, they've been turning around pretty good lately. You know they 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 smacked Northwestern uh, uh, fifty six to seven. They uh, lost in overtime to Michigan State, and they were within a, t- a touchdown against Oklahoma. So they've turned it around a bit there. So I, I don't think the Gophers can. Assume that's a, that's a win. Uh, they, they follow with Maryland here. Um, you know, Maryland didn't show much against Iowa on, on Friday, but uh, they're a team with a lot of good athletes. Um, then you, uh, uh, they go to Northwestern, uh, and then they have Illinois here uh, before the, the three-game finishing stretch of uh, at Iowa, at Indiana, then Wisconsin here. Yeah, so it's, you know, possible to get that bowl eligibility before they hit that stretch, but you know, we don't know what the we don't know what the future holds. Obviously, it's uh, you know, probably going to be chasing that uh, that Bowling Green loss for a while because that's the the real surprise of the season outcome wise so far. Um, last thought, Randy, by week next week, aside from you know getting Trey Potts healthy, managing that, anything that PJ Fleck has said about you know how they want to use this kind of downtime in the middle of the year. I think they want to, uh, yeah, they want to rest. They want to recuperate. You know, I think they want to re- refine some things too. You know, fine tune the offense, get that thing going a bit better. I think getting the rest for Chris Hobbin Bell will be uh, imperative there. He'll be able to not have put any miles on on the on that uh, bad ankle. Um, 
basically uh, they, they need need him uh, to be as close to healthy as they as fully health as they can uh, to get get the offense going a bit better. Sounds good, Randy. I'm not sure we'll check in next week since it's a bye week, but if there's news, maybe we will circle back. But for sure, in two weeks, enjoy a little bit of break as well if you get it, and uh, we'll do this again uh, down the road, all right? Okay, sounds good, Mike. Thanks a lot. Now, like Randy said, the Gophers are off this week. Then they start you know, the rest of their Big Ten schedule. Hope Randy gets a chance to explore another one of his loves this weekend, college hockey. Big series, by the way, Minnesota State hosting St. Cloud State in Mankato, two-game series Friday and Saturday. Uh, both teams undefeated 2-0, and one, number one against number two in the country. Fun early showdown. Maybe Randy can get over there and check that out because I know he loves the college hockey. Let's finish with the cooler. You know the name of the segment of this show is Tuesday Morning Nickelback. Now, I've been sneaking song lyrics from Nickelback into the first few episodes, but I decided those are a little bit maybe too obscure. So I'm going to give you a Nickelback fact today, straight from Wikipedia. Uh, I'm just going to read it straight from Wikipedia. So here we go. The band was formed in the early 1990s as a cover band called Village Idiot by brothers Mike and Chad Kroger with their cousin Brandon Kroger and Ryan Peake. The band later changed its name to Nickelback, with which originated from the nickel in change that band member Mike Kroger gave customers at his job at Starbucks. He would frequently say, here's your Nickelback. So, a few things to unpack there. One, kind of a strange origin story for a band name. Two, can you imagine paying with cash at Starbucks? I feel so old that I remember I used to, but it's been probably a decade at least since I used cash at Starbucks um, to, to pay for anything like that, to pay for my coffee drink. Three, the, the name of the band would be totally different if the band formed right now because nobody pays for for their coffee with cash anymore. You wouldn't be getting a nickel back at Starbucks anymore. You'd be tipping a dollar and just automatically doing that on your card. So the band name would be totally changed if the band had been formed right now. Maybe they'd still be Village Idiot. Maybe the name of this segment would have to be totally different too. Maybe we would call this Village Idiot as well. Food for thought. Thanks for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. We'll be back at it Wednesday. Chip Scoggins on the show. Uh, Looking forward to the rest of the week as well. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back at it on Wednesday. 